right, well, I'm going to do a little bit of a review and uh, present that to you because uh, I know there's some people that are watching online because they're unable to be here physically, so I want to, want to just do a review for them as well as for you. So the first week, I'm going to give you a couple things here. Uh, in John chapter 1, and I'm just, I am going to go fairly quick. You can get these from me or you can get them from the other studies. In John chapter 1, we looked at how John the Baptist was, uh, as he turned to follow Jesus, we learned that you learn as you go. Do you realize that? No, longer how long, no matter how long you've been going, you're, you learn as you go. And that's a reality. He gives us enough information to be obedient and enough information to be observant. You know, John the Baptist understood. I mean, he, he knew who Jesus was, but he didn't really know. And so you can see in John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34, how that is a principle that's brought to his disciples for each one of us to know. He gives you enough information to be obedient. I'm glad he doesn't tell me everything. Can you agree? There's a lot I would like to know, and I just don't need to know. Because if I knew, I would try to get out of it. I would try to go around it, or I would probably manipulate it. So he knows that about each one of us. Brings us to the next point out of John chapter 1, verse 39. Jesus said, come and see. We looked at how it had a twofold meaning. Come and see where I'm staying, because they were asking where he's staying. But it was also, come and see what you're looking for. You know, many times we think we're looking for one thing, but the cry of our heart, the deeper need and desire and hunger and longing is a deeper relationship with him, to know him better. And so we see that principle is important for all of us to carry as we think, okay, I want to make sure I'm, I'm just willing to look. It, it ties in to get with Luke, I mean with John 1, with Nathaniel, because it, we've seen that Jesus knew, knows Nathaniel. Before you saw me, I saw you. You can look the verses up yourself there in verse, 30, or verse 47 to 51. So if he knows Nathaniel, just going out on a limb, just a question real quick. What are the odds he knows you? He knows you well. He knows you better than you know yourself. And the things that you classify and categorize as a failure are actually the, the fertile soil for his work to grow in. And, and so often it needs, to be, it needs to be that way. You know, I, I, like what, I don't like what a person said, but I do believe it's true. Before God can mightily make a man, he must mightily break a man. So you can see why I don't like it. <laughs> but I do love it. It's like there's just certain things that have to be broken loose. And, you know, I call it, you know, cardio crusto, a hardened heart. You know, and it's got to be fractured and broken loose so we can be softened by him. And so we see the disciples. We're going to see even tonight how that, that was a work in process. Um, <clears throat> so, and then we went into to Luke 5 the next week. In Luke 5, 1 through 11, we were looking at how he, the, the disciples who fished all night and caught nothing, and then Jesus teaches the multitude from the, 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 their boat, one of them, Peter's boat, tired and disappointed, but Peter was still there. That would be my key or my emphasis. Give him your undivided attention, even when you're tired, disappointed, or discouraged. Because I believe that's one of the tests of faith. You know, it's easy to follow when you're extra caffeinated. It's easy to, to get excited. And, you know what I mean? I don't know if that's all bad, but how you doing when you're just, life is hard and, and relationships are tough and finances are strained and just one thing after another. 
And I just want to encourage you, you know, give him your undivided attention even when you're tired or disappointed. That may be through your devotion time or your reading time. It may be just a brief or whatever duration it may be. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a discipline that we do when something's important to us. We give it our undivided attention. So I hope you do that when you drive, at least mostly, you know, for sure. So you give your driving your undivided attention, right? I, I, most of you are, yeah, I'm pretty sure you do. I've seen your cars. They're not banged up. So, you know, it's probably, probably doing that. So we also seen in Luke 5, obedience always opens the door to his blessings. Peter was instructed to launch out into the deep and let out the nets. So he had already fished all night. He had all the answers and explanations why, well, I should do it different. But he was obedient, and it opened the door to, to the blessings. And he said, you know, as he said, I, we fished all night, had nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. Isn't that a beautiful phrase to just embrace? Nevertheless, at your word, I will. It doesn't mean you just go out and try to do as much as you can and say God told you to. It's just having that sensitivity when he prompts you to do something in a certain way or learn, grasp a principle or a truth. You just go, okay, at your word, I will, I I will. And then also we've seen from that very text because there was a great haul of fish and there was a great, you know, it was an amazing catch basically. And those who were closest to Peter benefited from Peter's obedience as well. And that's true in our lives as well. Others benefit from your obedience as well. We know that when we raise our kids. You know, they may not be in agreement with this thing we call love, when love comes in the form of correction or dis- discipline or whatever. I mean, when I say discipline, I'm just thinking teaching and leading, you know, which means gives them direction this way and this way. You know, they benefit from it. Now, we've seen in this situation, this story, it was instant and, and immediate that they too were, you know, direct beneficiaries to uh, Peter's obedience. And so that brought us into last week, then we were Mark 8. Um, Jesus asked a question, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Uh, very important question, because he said first, who do the people say that I am? Well, you know, some say you're a prophet. Some say maybe John the Baptist come back from the dead. Maybe, you know, maybe this guy, maybe that guy. And I, I mentioned to you, and I believe it's true, very important, that we understand our culture. We don't have to be so immersed in it that we're following every headline. But it's important to understand what do people say? Who do people say that Jesus is? I don't want to get into all the religious jargon, but literally, you know, who do people say? And, and listen to, you know, to kind of see, because it helps us kind of understand how to engage and how to dialogue in culture without compromise and, and not get too defensive if something really dumb's been said to you where you, you reply harshly or strongly. You're just like, shocked by something that's so strange to you, but common to a culture. But know what people say. What do people say? But more importantly, what affects you how you live is, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? You know, we touched briefly on not just the verbiage, you're saying that as the Peter replied, but also your lifestyle reveals what you actually believe. And so your lifestyle should correspond or correlate. Um, We've seen also that uh, Following Jesus requires denying yourself. You know, self-denial is not abusing the body. Rather, it's discipline, disciplining the body for a greater purpose. So it's, some have grossly misunderstood it. Paul, we looked at uh, Paul's life. You know, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. 
lest after having preached to others or lived out my life before others, I find myself disqualified. It's not a salvation issue, it's a witness issue. It's a, it's a following what God had put the call and put on Paul's life. So he knew, I, I, don't, I can't just beat the air. I can't just, you know, kind of fight, hoping I'll win. There, there's a discipline and a purpose to it all. And are, are these lives, you know, lived this way or, or such a joy, such a, such a blessing? Um, I quoted Jim Elliott. I'll give you the quote again. Jim Elliott had said, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's such a, so simple. Jim Elliott, you may know, was, was killed for his faith, you know, um, and you can... The point of the spear, I think, was the one video that's really good talking about his life and some others. So, Nate Saint, and I think one other person. So, lastly, as we're in review, bringing, bringing us to tonight, Jesus asked, Will you let me teach you? You know, ultimately, that he didn't say it in those words, but we've seen out of Mark 8 there in verses 31 to 33, Will you let me teach you? And I think that's so important. I, I, I shared that last week. I, I embrace it, I try to make sure every day, Will you let me teach you? You know, it's like, because you know what actually our subconscious response is? No, I got this. That's our subconscious response. We have to be trained to say, yeah, I would like you to teach me on this, you know. A a, a wording that would say, I I don't know what I need to learn, which could sound cocky the other way, right? I don't know what I need to learn. Oh, you know everything? But no, I, I don't know what I need to learn. But I know I need to learn. So he's saying, will you let me teach you? Will you die to self and follow me? And I, I do, yeah, there's a part of me like, man, dying to self, can we just get it done? You know, but it's, it's a daily thing. You know, you're told to daily take up your cross and follow him. Because there's just certain things you're learning about yourself and some things you're encouraged by, you're growing in your walk, but there's things that you're discouraged by. Like, oh man, why am I still that way? And it's just like, Lord, could you help me with this? Could you, could you help me to, to grow with it, through this? And, and follow you. So tonight, we are in Mark chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 30. Read through a portion, and then we'll see how far we make it into the, the next section. Begin in, in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, speaking to his, of his disciples. You know the topic of what we're digging in on. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and were afraid to ask him. Now, just prior, John has given us the account of a boy who was healed. A father who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. At a point where the disciples have been following Jesus for quite a while. They've seen a lot of things. Imagine you're the anonymous one. You didn't make the top 12, but you're number 13. You know what I mean? So you're there, and you're just kind of walking along. You're absorbing all this stuff. You go to one region, into another. He teaches, and then he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be brutally murdered. And I'm going to rise from the dead. You see what he says. After he's killed, he will rise from the dead the third day. Now, he's, he's told them this. He's, this isn't like the first time he's popped it on them. He's been revealing scripture to them as they've been following him. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Can you relate to that? But they did not. 
what does he mean? What, 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 what did he say? Because I think there's, there's a, it's, it's hard for us to grasp it. They had walked by Roman cities. They had seen the, the grotesqueness and, and the, just the horrible imagery of a body nailed to a cross. Of somebody who's, because it was a deterrent. It was a way that you would punish someone so that anybody who's seen that knows that they don't want to do anything that would get them put on a cross. And so here he's saying, he's the son of man's going to be betrayed. They will kill him. After the th- he's killed, he'll rise the third day. They understood what he's saying, but they had no clue what he said. And I just wanted to have you note that as we're looking at how he discipled. They didn't understand him, and they were afraid to ask him. And there's just times you're going to be that way. I'd like to say, hey, if you're afraid, just ask him. But you might, but you might still be afraid to even ask. You may not even know how to articulate it. Have you ever been there where you don't know how to pray? You, you know to pray, but I just don't know what to say. I've said it all before. I think I've requested this. I've asked for that. I still believe you can do it, but I don't know what to say. The book of Romans tells us that in those moments that the Holy Spirit actually brings forth groanings or utterances that, that are just, you just can't put into words. Interceding on our behalf, speaking for us, if you would. Teaching us deeper things than just the, the common vocabulary and discussion of men. When we close, they move along from there, it's, I, I have mentioned you know, the, the Gospels are not as um, rigid for the chronology that we're used to in our culture. We're, we're used to seeing things go in a consistent chronological order. This happened in May, then, then in June, and then in this, and then in this. Well, you won't see that in the scripture, or, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the same way. It's still there chronologically, but they're not always putting, like, one could be a few days ahead of another. But when you, when you see the wording where it says, then he came to Capernaum, it, it really t- tilts you to the next significant thing that God's going to bring through Mark is they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? You ever been on a long road trip with kids? Like, say, even late adolescence, early teen kind of years or whatever, where they finally get to talking? I, this is one thing I loved about the road trips I did when I was doing youth ministry, We'd take a group of kids in a suburban, sometimes two vehicles. We'd go to the Harvest Crusade in San Diego, down in San Diego. We were able to stay at Alpine. Uh, some people had the, were up here in Idaho, had a place there. They were up here. We were able to stay down there. So we'd drive down there, and I just tuned my ear to the back of the su- suburban. I love to hear what was being said when they don't think you can hear what they're saying and how their conversations go. It's actually how I measured and observed and, and would teach our, our different uh, youth leaders. Because I always wanted to see how they did after they got tired and when they didn't want to be bothered. How, how did that work? How did they engage? How did they talk? And, and you know, this is kind of an insight. I kind of, this is really kind of where I've got the idea. They disputed among themselves on the road. You, you realize there's a lot of walking in the scripture. <laughs> A whole bunch of walking. It's the one exercise or activity that's global and historical and effective. And nobody wants to do it, of course, because it takes too long. But in their culture, that, that's what they did. And you can just imagine. They're not just in tight in a huddle or single file like Western. They're just kind of a, just, just kind of spread out. I don't know how, by how far. But Jesus knew what they were talking about. 
They kept silent, verse 34, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. So once again, this is not the first week figuring out the, the discipleship crew hierarchy, you know what I mean? They're not trying to figure out who's the king or what, who's going to be. They're just, they've been together for a long time. They've, they've worked through a lot of things, and it looks to me like they didn't get much worked out. They disputed who would be the greatest. And he sat down, verse 35, and, and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So he just totally rocked the whole idea, the whole thought or concept of leadership. He just has turned it upside down. He's introducing to you and I and to them at that time servant leadership. Servant leadership is, is so much different than what the world leadership presents. World leadership teaches the ability, the, the physical strength, the emotional stability, all these different things that you have are to be used as an asset. You actually rise above people with the proper management of those, those attributes. But God puts the emphasis on learning to be a servant of all, which is his very model. So in that culture, you probably understand that the children were, at least by the, the male men, they were tolerated because they had to get past childhood to become a part of the, the men's system. You know what I mean? So they, they really weren't... Um, their engagement was as in, wasn't as endearing or as open as what we have. I'm not saying they didn't love their children. Their, their public expression and their engagement was so, so different. And, and we see Jesus now took a child, set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, which is very unusual, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. So he's conveying to them, this, this, is, this, is, this is God's heart. This, this, this is just receiving. Because, you know, what did the child have to bring? Really nothing. I mean, just being a child. He didn't have anything to negotiate with. He didn't have any strength. You know what I'm saying? They're trying to figure out who's going to be the, the top one. And he brings the child and says, this is, this is the model where you don't have a confidence in your assets or abilities or what you've acquired. You, you just, this, this, is, this is what real servanthood and leadership looks like. And it's still, it was still, they didn't go, oh, I get it. Not, you don't see that response. They're learning and he's teaching them. And I hope you can see that, you know, as a disciple of Jesus today, he, he teaches us obviously in the same way. He teaches us things that we see in leadership or see in culture. And we think, oh, that's, a plus or that's this but we want to let it be placed alongside this model you know much that's in um, evangelical circles or even we could say maybe with the broader reach christian circles that are professing christian circles much within the leadership is not biblical leadership it's charisma it's wit it's personality it's uh you know administrative abilities it's you know what i'm saying now, those things are not bad, but much of it, 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 that's what people look to. That's what people gravitate to, and they like it. Until what? Until it proves faulty, or until it shows that it's actually more secular than spiritual. And so, um, it's kind of, it will, I'm not, there's a lot I could touch on there, but we'll leave it at that. Now we see in verse 38, now Jesus answered him, or John answered him, 
And I, I do think that this flows. I do think that, that was, there was a continuity, not a long gap between these particular topics of verse 37 and verse 38. But John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will, not, he will by no means lose his reward. So it happens now, and it happened then. You know, people in, subconsciously are wanting uniformity. They want things to all look the same. It's something within all of us. And Jesus said, no, 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 that, that's, you're measuring the wrong way. Peter, you, or I mean John, you see what he's saying. They were, they were, they, they were casting out demons who does not follow us, casting out demons in your name. Are you cracking with me on this? We forbade him because he does not follow us. So there wasn't a problem that they were casting out demons in Jesus' name. What was the problem? They weren't following us. And it, I just, I look at it and go, wow, how simple, how clear, but how easy to overlook. So much is about following us. It's just, it's just human reality. That we, we actually are, we're wired, if you would, to, to literally uh, follow. The question is, who will follow? But I love what Jesus said. Do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon. Have you ever wanted to see something and that's all that you've seen? So say you, you, you notice something about someone, so you, you critique and you keep, you always notice that problem. You always notice that one thing. But you don't notice a complimentary thing because it won't support what you're wanting to see because what you're wanting to see allows you to formulate an opinion about that person and then you keep looking for things to support that presupposition. Am I the only one who has experienced this in their brain? <laughs> and so, you know, when we start looking at that, he, Jesus is saying, listen, he's not looking at the big picture. You want him to be, you want things this way, but there's such a broad thing taking place. You know, that's why people, you know, they'll sometimes say, well, I don't know if this person's saved because they're doing this or doing that. And I'm like, it's none of your business. The Bible says very clear. It's Dan's street language I'm sharing, but it's none of your business. Jesus said, I have angels. I have messages. I have people. I have my, my, my servants will separate the sheep and the goats at the right time. They will separate the wheat and the tares. It's not for you to try to figure that out. It's for you to be obedient to me. And for them, it wasn't to try to get a bigger following. Like, they probably wanted a bigger following. You know, John the Baptist was up to 97 by now, Jesus, and we're at 84. You know, so we got to bump up our numbers somehow. You know, I don't know how it is, but I don't know. I just do know that he is pretty strong, and this is the key. I want you to even memorize verse 40. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Speaking of other people, if he is not against us, he's on our side. Now, why is that so significant? Why is that such a powerful statement? Well, he's, if he's not against us, is that 
church from where you used to live that was kind of wacko or that one that was a little different on doctrine or their worship service expression was a little uncomfortable for you? Are they against Jesus Christ? And most of the time, you will reluctantly have to say, I wouldn't say they're against Jesus. It's like, okay, then zip it. Because that's what he's saying. If they're not against us, well, they just don't do it the same. Uh, Duh. That's okay. I'm not talking about the essentials. I'm not talking about someone who denies the deity of Jesus Christ or tries to say that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer or promotes a system to where you worship a woman or a person or all the other stuff. I'm talking about the essentials within the body of Christ where we understand the deity of Jesus, who the scripture tells us he is. We follow him then we don't have to sort out all the other things. Can you can think about how silly it probably has to be? In our community, we have you know, a few churches, maybe probably you could say several, I don't know, I'm kind of busy at this one, but uh, I'm sure there's several that, that teach the gospel. That, that are, they just do it, they're just weird, because they don't do it like us, which is okay. I'm actually okay. You know, the, let me say something, and this will be misquoted and probably posted somewhere. I'll just give you some ammunition. So the way we do it is the right way to do it. That's a fact for us. If I'm not doing it the right way, then I'm choosing to do it the wrong way. I'm doing it the right way. You're doing it the right way. As near as we can discern what to do or we're being disobedient. So it's the right way for me, but it may not be for the next guy down the street or the small group that meets or something happening on the base. You see what I'm saying? It's not uniformity. Jesus is teaching his disciples, you and me, to understand the difference. You know, he's teaching us, listen, Jesus, keep your eyes on me. You're serving, you're doing these things. You don't have to be like them. You don't have to try to fit into this or be that. You're not going to lose your reward because, you know, well, I don't know. There's been a recent, I won't get into all the details, but just a lot of, you know, there's any time there's a spiritual growth, there's an increase in criticism. You ever realize that? It's in your personal life. You'll, you'll face challenges, but you'll just face criticism. And I tell you, man, I don't know what has been going on lately, but it's just, just one thing. Oh, yeah, they don't, you know, they do it this way. I had this, this was the statement that just rubs me the wrong way. So I'm going to rant. Do I have a 30 minute, no, 30 second rant, maybe? Oh, that's Pastor Dan's church. He's, he does, he makes all the decisions over there. I'm like, well, if that's the case, I'm going fishing more. I mean, if I get to just decide what I get to go do, it's like, it's like it, but, but it wasn't meant to be in any way complimentary. It was critiquing and criticizing. It was, it was thrown in with some others about some things that we do different and all these other things and then a couple other things. And I'm just sitting there going, so the way I've, I've changed over the years is those things come in, like, sweet. We got a lot of work to do still. Not to appease that, but to reach them. And so I can't take it any other way. Otherwise, I'll just freak out. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, you know, there's just a lot to do. I have a, uh, i show it to you maybe someday. I have a file in my office. It's called Words of Encouragement. And it's, it's not, it's, it's just a list of complaints I've got. One, two, three, four page complaints. Very personal, very cutting, very like, and I, I have to process it that way. Otherwise, I will get really upset. It's like, all right, these are words of encouragement. We've got a lot to do yet. There's a lot to reach. There's a lot within the body, because most of it comes from the body of Christ, actually. 
but there's a lot to do within our community and lots of things because if I don't reset my way of thinking, my male ego and my whole, you know, call down thunder on them type of thing will kick in and it just doesn't work out good. So let's move on. Let's catch another section here. Um, I want to go through uh, another section in John, I mean Mark over at chapter 10. Let's look over to verse 32. Now, we, we haven't, you know, traveled too far. Obviously, we're just uh, the latter part of chapter 9, and we're skipping that, and chapter, started chapter 10, beautiful teaching there as well. But because of our focus on learning as his disciples, we're going to pick up in Mark 10, verse 32. Now, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed, and as they followed they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to, to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. You remember back in chapter 9, verse 31, it was kind of general, correct? Let me read to you. Son of man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and after the third day, after he's killed, the third day he'll rise. Now he's given more detail. He doesn't rebuke them for not getting it as he goes, because he's teaching them as they go along, and now he, he noticed they're on the road. Uh, as they followed him, they were amazed. We're not told what they're, what they're amazed about. Did you catch that? They're just amazed. I don't know. I, I don't know what, but I know my life. There's just things that God does just amazes me. I, I just sometimes it's just in awe, just little things that are just, you know, kind of your specialty things or just things in your life. And you tell someone else and they're like, well, big deal. You know what I mean? It doesn't register to them. But to you, it's, it's big. It's like amazing that, you know, that song came on just after talking to my mom and just after this situation. And I read this verse this morning. And then the song, it's not... One of my kids used to call it, what a coinkity-dinkity. Instead of saying coincidence, they just turned it into that word. And so it was a humorous word. You can tell I still use it on occasion. Um, but it wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't a coinkity-dinkity. It was just like, there's just things God does that are just very special and personal and intimate. And then we go, man, this is amazing. And, and I think they were amazed every day. You know, as I, I will be sharing. I got the, some photos back and com- compiled some. Uh, the trip to Israel was just amazing. I can't say anything other than amazing. And just the thoughts that go through you and the emotions that well up when your, your senses are triggered, you know, like I have uh, already mentioned, like we got on this boat and we go out on the Sea of Galilee and, and I'm, you know, I was like, okay, but I, like, wonder what, wonder where they fish. <laughs> wonder what they fish for. I'm literally like, mm, that's tilapia, I think, you know. Anyway, but then as we go a little further, it just, I just, it just struck me. It's like, this is the very place, this is the probable place that Jesus spoke. This is, you know, it just, it just, it's, just, it's just amazing to think, think about it, you know. Those of you who have been, you know what I'm talking about. And like, man, in our everyday life, and in our everyday individuality, he meets us and amazes us. And as they followed, they were afraid. Have you ever been afraid to follow? And then afraid as you follow, <laughs> you know? You'd think it'd be one or the other, but it really isn't. There's times that we're afraid to take that step. 
But even as we follow, we're like, and I don't believe we see it as a fear of it won't work out. We just, we have a natural reluctance to embrace the unknown. We know who he is. We know he's victorious. We know he's our savior. That's good. But you do not know what difficulty, what health issue, what strain or stress or whatever you're going to go through. So fear can creep in. It can, and it does to them right then. It's like, and I don't, I think it can be healthy. The, you know, the Bible says that, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So there's a part that it's, it's good. But here, they, they were, as they followed, they were afraid. Let's go on with the story, though, because he's given them a real strong, loving, but clear statement about his, his purpose in, in what he's going to do and what's going to happen to him. And he's even told them on the third day he'll rise again. So naturally, they're going to have a curiosity of what he's speaking about. And so John tells us, then, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I just, I have, I, I have to try to like say, okay, between verse 34 and verse 35, someone took a nap. Something happened because there's a complete detachment here. But the flow of the, of the gospel I believe, wants us to keep them connected. Wants, that, wants us to realize that when they, when they say that, it, it, I don't think it's like what we... I, I believe it's to a certain measure an expression of commitment. We're not quitting. We want, let me read it and give you the context to see why I can would conclude that or mention that. We want you to do whatever we ask. And he said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. But notice Jesus responded. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but is for those whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. We'll stop right there and tie that together. So when they say, you know, we, uh, we, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, it, it sounds kind of bold, right? It sounds kind of like, you know, egotistical. But you have to at least consider, are they saying, what would you... We're not leaving. When you come into your kingdom, we're gonna we're not gonna quit. You know, I don't know if that's I don't think that's the 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 only emphasis, of course. But as they're communicating, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for being out of line. He does tell them, "You will, you will suffer. You know, you will, you'll carry the cup. You'll go through much of what I'll go through." But as far as position and power, place in in the heavenly realm, that's not. I don't. I'm not gonna tell. You're not gonna work that out here. If that makes sense, he's like that. That the father takes care of that. But you've seen it, I'm sure. You know there was no indication of any understanding that I'm going to the cross. And here's my thought on that: when God says something that is painfully true and difficult for us, we'd rather not acknowledge it. Just like if somebody says something to you that you don't really want to acknowledge, you may ignore it and just change the subject. Is any, not, not that any of you sweet people here, nobody would ever change the subject on someone else because you just don't want to deal with it right now. But 
it's true, it happens. There's just times the Lord prompts your heart about something, prompts me about something, and I just, I don't, I'm not ready for that. I don't, I don't know what to do with that information. So just maybe pretend like it wasn't mentioned, or, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't know how to deal with this. Well, he'll bring them back around to it. They're going to see it. It didn't surprise him that his disciples kind of like said, kind of shined him, kind of like, you know, okay. Um, I love what, how he engages with them. And, and we look at this, and I have taken the time, and we're spending you know, a few weeks going through this because we really want to learn how to be his disciples. I do like systems and programs and outlines and formats that kind of walk you through some of these principles, provided they keep it in the sense of relationship and not just formula. You know, you can read a book, you can learn about discipleship, but, you know, disciples are made, not born. Okay, we don't just start out as a disciple. Um, All disciples are believers, but not all believers are disciples. Some people choose to just stop. They just choose, as in John chapter 6, verse 66, but leading up to that, Jesus had taught and said... um, you know, he's been teaching the people, and he knew that they're just following me for the physical benefit. So he then teaches them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And, of course, it grossed them out because they, weren't, they were seen in the physical realm. They weren't, they weren't thinking about, okay, what is he actually teaching us? And so the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is, this is a hard saying. It, I, I, in John 6, just before, I must about 63, 4, he, they say this is difficult, and it literally the word is scandalizo. This is scandalous to us for you just to present that. We, I, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And in verse 66, it says of his disciples, and many of them turned back and walked with him no more. That hard saying. And, and I, I think the wording there, and I think what's being presented there is they no longer wanted to come close to him. They were content to just hang back and hear some and a piece here and there, but not really committed. Many turned back and walked with him, because it was a hard saying. And he turns to those who say, what about you? What are you guys going to do? And we know what Peter said. Peter, I think very transparently, definitely, honestly, openly, and accurately, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. That's the, that's the answer of a disciple. Because there's not much of an answer to that, to be honest, in, in, a, in a topical sense. This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Peter could have then given the answer to why it's acceptable, but he didn't. He just said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. He is saying, I have no clue what you're talking about. It, it's really weird to eat your flesh and drink your blood. I don't know what you're talking about. But I've followed you this far, and I ain't going back. I, I've learned so much from you. I've seen these things about you. I know I'm learning who you are. You have the words of eternal life. Where am I going to go for that? You know, where am I going to go walking with Jesus? I believe every person in this room either has, maybe more in depth than some, or maybe just a passing thought, have had that thought. Like, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done with church. I'm done with people. I'm done, I'm done with this. I mean, I have it, <laughs> honestly. And I think, but, you know, where am I going to go? Literally, where am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And when I can actually shift the focus 
on what I perceive into, into, into really how he is, then we find ourselves going, man, even though this is hard, even though this is difficult, I can't imagine, I really in, partly because we live on this side of the cross, and we, we, we read the, hit, the story, but I, I really can't, I can't, in my mind, I can't work through as a, how horrible that would have been to, to observe someone's impaled and, and treated that way, and the way they were just brutalized. I can't imagine what that would be like. He's saying, this is what's going to happen to me. I don't know how I, how would you accept that? You probably wouldn't. Probably like what they did. Like, I don't know, I can't, uh, I can't deal with this. So, but notice their response when Jesus does dialogue with them. He doesn't call them out for what they missed, but he continues to lead them just like he leads you. And of course, they're people, and when they heard it, they were greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know, that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And once again, he's teaching them things that are foreign. They're not common. They're, they're not common today even. He's teaching them, you know, you, you have an example around you. In, in the secular realm, we especially, we have, as much as we complain about it, we have a good example of secular leadership. I'm not talking about the current person within the system. I'm just talking about the system, you know, seriously. Our governmental system is is as good as you're going to get when you have people involved. It really is. I, I, I mean, uh, uh, monarchy is best if Jesus is the king, but any deviation from that and there's all these different variations of leadership and you see within different systems even you know all, you can just imagine any of them and even take time and look into them where there's success there's humility power always corrupts power and focus upon power absolute power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely we see that it's just that's a secular statement so it happens and so you know you you see that there are certain things that work and sadly, to a certain degree, the church has adapted those principles because they've seen the expression. They've seen the organization, or they've seen the practice, or they've seen the structure, or whatever. And Jesus is saying, there's nothing wrong with being organized and orderly and administering good, but to be servants. Learn to be a servant of all. I believe the first way he teaches many of us to be a servant, I know for me, and I can speak, I know for many of you, is when we're single and we get married, we're now learning how to serve. That's the one thing I say the first time I meet with people, don't care how old they are. So let me get this straight. You're single and you're in love and you want to, so you want to spend the rest of your life serving this other person. That's pretty much the answer I get most of the time. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I want to do. Like, no. But ultimately, that's what we learn, correct? When we learn to love, we have to learn to let go. 
And so those of us, you know, who have kids, the principles repeated because we didn't get it in marriage. And those of us that are a little slow have six kids to get the concept. <laughs> it's just like to learn, because it's like, you, you, I'm joking, but you see what I'm saying. It's like you, you learn and he's teaching. This, this, is, this, is, this is what true spirituality is. This is what true spirituality, follow the master. Be, disi- be discipled by him. For even the son of man didn't come to be served. He didn't come to be served. Have you thought about how he did so many things and the one thing he did not use was his power for personal gain? There's many times he could have just called. He literally said, I could call down legions of angels and this would be done in a minute. He could literally, like we know, he calmed the sea through his very words. He could have brought up a storm if he wanted to. But he did not use the power for his personal gain. Rather, he modeled servanthood to accomplish his purpose. It's so powerful. I mean, it's like, there's a book out. Um, it's actually, we have some copies of it. You're welcome to them. Just got to find them. Um, Gail Irwin's uh, Jesus Style. Have anybody, have you heard of that book called The Jesus Style by Gail Irwin? Um, all right, it's time to dig out a few of them because a lot of you guys haven't heard of it. It's a fantastic book. There's The Jesus Style, The Father Style, and The Holy Spirit Style. Gail Irwin is the author, writer, Calvary guy. Just a really fun-loving, energetic, God-loving Jesus freak. So he's really, yeah, remind me and I'll get you some copies of it because so, we ordered a bunch of them some time ago. It's fantastic because he, te- he, te- he just takes on this whole section right here and he talks about it and spends time in, in detail about what it means to be a servant and how you end up being a leader, but you're learning to be a servant and you end up being a leader. But if you're trying to be a leader, you have to learn to be a servant and it's so contrary. Even many Many you know, Christian organizations have deviated from this simple truth and never, embr- never understood it, never, never really accepted that this is what it means to give your life in service to God because you believe God is worth your life and worth giving to him. So we'll stop right there. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for tonight. And I know you've... you've probe deep and we're so thankful Lord that your word it cuts through the flesh, the bone, the marrow it cuts deep into our heart to the thoughts and the intents and to even the motives Lord and we're thankful that you do that for we know you don't do it to tear us down but you you do it to liberate us and to free us from the things that entangle us and God may you purify our motives Remove those that can't be purified. God, may you motivate us in a manner that is because of love. May we be humble before you, which we ask for you to bring that about. May we be teachable by you. May we not hold on to stubbornness or stiff-necked anything. May we be softened. We believe you'll do all these things. We're asking them in advance. We know as you taught these 12 men and the many other disciples in that day and you've been faithful in each generation to equip your people to present your love to the lost world. Lord, thank you that you would enable us, equip us, and use us for your glory. In your sweet name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.